lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's uh, printed here for you in your liturgy. Commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my count. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. God, open our hearts, our minds, expand our imagination so that when we reflect on this passage in light of the big picture of what you're doing in the world, we might leave here with our faith strengthened, our commitment to follow Christ in this broken and fallen world, renewed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I am in Gainesville, Florida, my hometown, I often get coffee at a great little shop in what's now referred to as downtown Gainesville. We just called it downtown when I was growing up. I get coffee at this shop uh, that's kitty-cornered from this building that used to be called Mike's Bookstore and Tobacco Shop. (laughs) They sold books, they sold tobacco, they sold pipes, they sold hats and canes. Very, just don't have shops like that anymore. Um... And they would always special order for me the next Hardy Boys book that was coming out. And so I had a whole hardbound set of Hardy Boys books somewhere that were purchased at Mike's Bookstore and Tobacco Shop. Um, Now, all those old shops were bought shoes and furniture and Party Boys books. They're all cafes and boutiques and cool coffee shops where I get my cappuccinos and cortados. Uh, On the corner of these two still brick-lined streets, at one time they paved all the streets, and they said that was a terrible idea, and they took all the pavement up, and now it's brick streets again like it was when I was growing up. Um, On the corner of two of those little streets, right next to Wyatt's Coffee Shop, often you'll find a gentleman named Arthur. Now, I don't 
usually talk about people like this, like stories about people that aren't here or whatever. But Arthur builds community around himself. Arthur talks to everyone and anyone. Arthur invites a conversation about his life. If you don't know what's going on with Arthur, it's because you haven't met him. So I'll introduce you to him this morning. Uh, I often talk to this gentleman, Arthur. He sits there most days. The weather's nice. And he just invites conversation. Uh, life has not been kind to Arthur. Uh, he's doing the best he can with it. And the last time I was there, he asked me pointedly, pray for me to... Um, to get an apartment. He said, it, it looks like I'm on the list to get an apartment. And you pray for me to get an apartment. And so I come back this time, and there he is when I go to Wyatt's. And, and he looks at me, he recognizes me, he always calls me buddy. And there's a gleam in his eye. He is full of joy. I have an apartment. And it's really close to a store where I can go and get stuff. And uh, we chatted a little bit more. And then I said, well, how did all that work out? I was praying for you. Um, and he said, uh, he said, they made it happen. And I'm like, they. I want to know who they is. And so I, but I didn't have time. I had to go do something for my mom. So I had to leave. And, uh, but later in the afternoon, I um, had come back by to get a coffee for the road to go back to the airport. And I asked one of the baristas there at Wyatt's, I said, Arthur told me there's a place to live now. It's great news. He said, they helped me find it. I said, who's they? And um, the barista um, said, um, a lot of people. Just a lot of people, people that uh, that Arthur would talk to. They said also a ministry that was involved. Um, it turns out they is a big number of folks, and they made it happen. We'll come to the Beatitudes in a moment. And by the way, the Beatitudes should be heard. We'll talk about this in a minute. As addressed to us. Them, they, therefore community, okay? So keep that in mind. So that story actually has a point. It does tie, it's not just a good story. It ties into the Beatitudes. Um, we'll come to Beatitudes in a minute, but now for another vignette. This one is from St. Augustine, first told about 1,600 years ago. There's this um, wonderful vignette in his amazing confessions. And if you've never read the confessions, maybe that's a Lent book for you. Uh, there's a really cool translation that came out. I think it's called Confessions for the 21st Century, written by Maria Boulder, who's uh, all accounts a lovely nun who uh, lived in England her whole life. Turned down a Lady Mar Margaret uh, appointment to be a professor and took up vows and went to the convent, but kept doing her scholarly thing. It's a really great translation. I, I wish it had been around when I was in college. 
Anyway, I was thinking about Arthur, thinking about the Beatitudes, and this story came back to my memory of Augustine talking about his life, his past life, before he converted or was converted. Um, And it's a story about stealing pears. Um, And, you know, the Confessions is this, you know, maybe the first true autobiography. Um, Augustine's talking about his life and, and how he was running in the opposite direction from God running towards everything that doesn't make for human flourishing. And he's looking back at different incidents in his life and trying to understand them theologically. And there's this occasion when he's very young, like teenager, late teens maybe, something like that. And he talks about an occasion when he and some hooligan, he didn't use the word hooligan, but <laughs> some, some friends of his go and they steal a bunch of pears from a farmer's orchard. A bunch. Like he indicates it's a lot of them. And um, they take them and they just basically they throw them away. They throw them to the pigs. And his first insight into that that really horrifies him is that he realizes that he didn't need the pears. He didn't want the pears. He didn't even have a memory of eating one of the pears. He says something to the effect of, I think I maybe ate one, but he said, what thrilled me about doing it was that it was wrong. He said, that is what thrilled me to the core, was that it was wrong and I got away with it. But then he goes one step deeper into thinking about that incident And I want to read you what he says in his own words. So I guess this is story day. We're coming to the Beatitudes, okay? I'm going to read this slowly because it's Augustine. And it's an updated translation, but it's still Augustine, all right? What fruit did I ever reap from those things which I now blush to remember? And especially from that theft in which I found nothing to love, save the theft itself, wretch that I was. It was nothing, and by the very act of committing it, I became more wretched still. And yet, as I recall my state of mind at the time, I would not have done it alone. I most certainly would not have done it alone. It follows then that I also love the camaraderie with my fellow thieves. So it is true to say that I love nothing other than the theft? Well, ah, but it is true because that gang mentality too was a nothing. But what was it in fact? Who can teach me except the one who illumines my heart and distinguishes between its shadows? Why has this question come into my mind now to be examined and discussed and considered If the object of my love had been the pears I stole and I simply wanted to enjoy them, I could have done that alone. Similarly, if the act of committing the sin had sufficed by itself to yield me the pleasure I sought, I would not have any further desire 
I would not have further inflamed my itching desire by the stimulation of conspiracy. But since my pleasure did not lie in the pairs, it must have been in the crime as committed in the company of others who shared in the sin. In your presence, I declare it, my God. This is my soul's vivid remembrance. On my own, I would not have perpetrated that theft in which I felt no desire for what I stole, but only for the act of stealing. To do it alone would have aroused no desire whatever in me, nor would I have done it. What an exceedingly unfriendly form of friendship that was. It was a seduction of the mind, hard to understand, which instilled into me a craving to do harm for sport and fun. I was greedy for another person's loss without any desire on my part to gain anything or to settle a score. Let the others only say, come, come on, let's go and do it. And I am ashamed to hold back from the shameless act. This is a really important idea. It matters what we do as individual human beings. But it also matters just as much and arguably sometimes more what we agree to do as groups, communities of people. The Beatitudes and what follows in the Sermon on the Mount is addressed to a group of people who are the first representatives of a new community which in turn is representative of a renewed human race, a new humanity being renewed by the truest human of all, the God-man, Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, <coughs> it is a vision of what it looks like to be human when the blessings that will come to fruition in the world to come are already coming to fruition as we follow Jesus now in this world. The church exists to show the world this new way to be human by what we all agree to believe, by what we all agree to live out. And to always be thinking and recommitting to one another that we exist for the good of others, especially those at the margins. Um, Professor Mark Husbands, who evidently knows a thing or two about Augustine, puts it this way. St. Augustine argued in the city of God that a people, any people, is a group that shares a common love. The better the thing that is loved, the better the people. The church then exists as a people to show the world that there is something worthy of love, Jesus Christ. It matters what we believe to be true about the world as individual people, but it also matters, like I said a minute ago, I just want to say it again, it matters how we see the world as groups of people, how we agree to be as groups of people. You know, when I went back to that statement of, when I was thinking about the Beatitudes, I thought, you know, Arthur does not look like someone who is blessed. 
a glance, a glance, but he is, but he, he'll tell you that he is. That's the thing, he'll tell you that he is. You know, a lot of times we get tripped up with the Beatitudes, and we tend to think of them as, you know, maybe they're entry requirements. You know, live like this, believe like this hard enough, and Jesus will deem you worthy of, of being in Jesus' kingdom. Other times, worse than that, we look at the Beatitudes and we say, that's nice for children. <laughs> you know, don't, don't steal your friend's toy, that sort of thing, when moral issues are of little consequence. But the real truth about the Beatitudes is they are blessings, blessings of the king. You know, one New Testament scholar has said that the best way to translate that word into English is not to say blessed, but it would be something like the Aussie good on your. You guys heard that before? It's in movies. I had to look it up, you know, like YouTube. Somebody on YouTube said, good on your mate, you know, and then I read about it and yeah, so it's basically like, you're in a good spot. Be thankful. Um, that gets at it a little bit more. I think blessing, we think, unfortunately, we hear the word blessing, and we think, you know, maybe we had to earn the blessing. But good on you just means, hey, you didn't do anything for this. It's a gift. It's a gift of the king, a way to live in this world. But when you... Read your news feeds like Lee did before she wrote prayers to the people this morning. Where's the blessing? Where's the good on you, right? But we come back to insights like inside of Augustine, um, come back to a story like the blessing, relatively speaking, of this person that I now count beyond an acquaintance to a friend that I see sometimes when I'm in Gainesville. Stories like that, and you remember that, you know, to, to steal a phrase from a Leonard Cohen song, we do get hallelujahs in this world, albeit broken hallelujahs, but a broken Hallelujah is better than no hallelujah at all. That's our modest and humble work as a church is to believe that this way of life that is described as a blessing from the king to agree together that this way of life is a way of showing the world the beauty of Christ and of creating a foretaste of the world to come and indeed to bless wherever we can with a full hallelujah but in the meantime a broken hallelujah is better than no hallelujah at all and so we come to this table each week with our broken selves in our broken world and we pray prayers and we hope that God is listening. And then we live as if he is listening. And that is good enough. That is good enough. What we do as people together really matters. 
So thanks for being here. Believing. Like Luke Timothy Johnson says, it's somewhere on our website, I think. Um, no one of us believes as well as individuals as we all do together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. To close our service, we'll respond together by singing, I need thee every hour. So I invite you to stand as we sing together.